New ideas and new technology are causing seismic shifts in the media industry. Where are we headed? What does it mean? Keep listening. Media strategist Gabriella Mirabelli talks with the brightest minds in entertainment and business. Meet the innovators, the risk takers, and the disruptors on the front lines of change from Hollywood, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and beyond. The future is coming to a screen near you. Are you ready? This is the Up Next podcast with Gabriella Mirabelli. Welcome to Up Next. I'm your host, Gabriella Mirabelli. My guest today is Annetta Grant. She's an assistant professor of markets, innovation, and design at Bucknell University. Her research focuses on understanding consumer experience, especially in highly immersive consumption experiences. Thank you for joining us today. Thanks very much for having me. It's really a pleasure to speak with you today. Crowdsourcing. A lot of people in marketing toss the word around, especially in entertainment. I mean, sort of anytime they get consumers to interact, they're like, we're crowdsourcing, we're crowdsourcing UGC, we're crowdsourcing this, that are the other thing. But for purposes of this conversation, could you define what crowdsourcing means? Yeah, sure. Crowdsourcing is the practice of gathering input, ideas, designs, or knowledge from a large number of people, or in other words, from a crowd, right? So an example of crowdsourcing is Lego Ideas. Uh, This is an initiative where the company Lego invites customers to submit ideas for future play sets that they'd like to see. Other customers can go vote on it and provide feedback on each of those ideas. And then submissions that are popular enough actually get made by Lego and are actually sold in stores like you would see any other Lego set. So instead of turning to employees or to outsourcing that work to a company, crowdsourcing draws upon people who choose to participate in offering input, ideas, designs, or knowledge, whatever it is in that particular initiative. And in many instances, when a business adopts this model, those ideas often translate to a new product offering for the company running this initiative. So It's different from user-generated content in that with user-generated content, the product or offering already exists and users are generating content that shows how they are engaging with that product or offering. So it's a wholly new thing versus a manipulation. Crowdsourcing is really more about creation and innovation. It's about perhaps solving a problem or creating a new innovative offering. Yeah. Right. And so it sounds like when executed well, the benefits would be new product and also deepening engagement. If I were a fan of Lego, I'm going to be more of a fan if they make my thing. And the idea that they might make my thing makes me that much more engaged. Is that... Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a bunch of benefits, right, potentially for companies that are engaging in crowdsourcing right off the bat. A company can have access to thousands of talented individuals who can work faster and at a lower cost than employees, right? Right. So it can be a very cost-effective solution for companies. And a company can enlist a lot more people through crowdsourcing than they could ever hire as employees. Right. And the thing about crowdsourcing that must not be overlooked is the community and collaboration that happens between community members. And what I mean by community is that an online community tends to form around a crowdsourcing initiative. So often the crowdsourcing platform offers a place where participants can chat with each other or offer each other comments and suggestions for improvement on their ideas. This creates a space where many diverse minds and skills are coming together to work together. 
And so the ultimate crowdsourced ideas are often the result of a very high level of collaboration within the community. And that can drive really innovative solutions, right? When you think about it, a whole community of people engaged in coming up with new creative solutions and ideas and then getting feedback on those ideas and then iterating to improve them. Well, that can generate more innovative solutions than the company's employees alone could have come up with. Are there any risks, downside? <laughs> Why aren't we all just crowdsourcing the heck out of everything? So there, there is a downside if you if you do it wrong, right? Yeah, there are some downsides, right? So, I mean, one of the risks is inviting people who are not employees to participate in creating product offerings could mean that the company will likely receive some low quality work, right? Mm -hmm. Like unlike when you're hiring employees, managers don't and can't screen out the crowd's qualifications. So this means that you can never be quite sure of the output and that can lead to some turbulence in your offerings. Now, the main risks that exist pertain to managing and maintaining the crowdsourcing community. All right. Okay. So you had asked earlier and you had mentioned that people really develop relationships through participating with a brand in a crowdsourcing community. And that is true. Right. So participants build a much stronger relationship with the brand and company. And and that's good in the sense that it can lead to higher levels of customer loyalty and customer engagement. And that can translate into increased re repurchase levels, positive word of mouth, and overall higher rates of return for a company, right? And you also have the benefit of potentially building brand ambassadors by having these types of relationships. People feel that they have a sense of ownership in the brand and they want to see it succeed. So that can be a very positive thing for a company. Now, inherent though, is the flip side of this type of relationship. And the risk is, is that when participants devote a lot of time and energy to a crowdsourcing initiative, the expectations they have is that marketers are going to respect their time and energy, and they're going to incorporate their ideas into the company's offerings, right? So failing to do that can create backlash from the community and that backlash can manifest in participants choosing not to participate. So the community falls apart because there's no one there to participate, right? Or worse, they can spread negative word of mouth about the company right. and that can hurt the brand, right? Now, another inherent risk with crowdsourcing for managers is if you step back and look at crowdsourcing from the participants' perspective, firms can collect surprising innovative solutions that they can take to market and they can really cash in big with some of those solutions. And the company's gains can be relatively large compared to the compensation for participants. Well, right. So, and then there's a sense of the fairness, which wasn't so much the outcome fairness as the process fairness. Or did it's a little bit of both, right? Okay, so okay. participants really want to feel that both the procedures and the rules are fair, as well as the distribution of outcomes. And by distribution of outcomes, that means the sort of the the share the wealth. Is that it, just yeah, it means share the wealth, um, not only with the people that are participating, but the yeah, so the, so not only amongst other participants, right? But also participants want to feel that however much they're putting into the crowdsourcing community, they're also getting proportionally a certain amount out of it as well. Right. Because everything starts. You can't start in the middle of something. You start at the beginning. Do people start with a blank slate with regard to fairness? Are there things that people can do to telegraph fairness? Or is this something that really is experiential and developed? So it's about your touch points over time. 
Yeah. So I think that's a very important distinction that our research really highlights. And that is that fairness is really something that is not a one and done, right? It's not something where you can just set up a crowdsourcing contest with rules and parameters and it runs itself. But how participants see and experience fairness is constantly evolving in the community. Mm. And so we had always kind of known, you know, yeah, fairness is important to crowdsourcing and it needs to feel fair. But in, t- until our paper, there was no research that said, wait a minute, what exactly do participants qualify as fair in a crowdsourcing context? And so this is where a deep understanding of the consumer experience is so important. And this is what I do as a researcher. So the question that our research answers is really, what does fair look like to participants? And what do participants in crowdsourcing platforms understand as fair? And and this is really the first research to unpack what does fairness mean to participants in a crowdsourcing platform? Now, as a parent, I know that the assessment of fairness is pretty subjective. If both my boys think I'm being unfair, then I'm probably being fair, but they're both unhappy. So, I mean, in some ways I'm thinking, oh my, if I am doing a crowdsourcing, it could be perceived as completely unfair, but I have actually been incredibly fair. So how does perception layer in here? Yeah. So this is what we also found is that those interpersonal interactions that managers have with crowdsourcing communities are so important. And this is where a lot of, you know, ideas of fairness can really kind of get hashed out and discussed and managed. And in large part, what we found, and we can get into this a little bit more, but what we found is that more importantly than anything, people who are participating in a crowdsourcing community want to feel like they have input in that community and they want to feel like they are being heard by the brand, right? Take that example of your two boys where you're doing what you know is fair, but to them, it seems unfair. If you manage that, you know, through dialogue, through other ways, you can really kind of get them to come around to to whatever it is that you're trying to implement. Hmm. People care about fairness. It, It matters to people. In your paper, you talk about three types of organizational justice, distributive, procedural, and interactional. Can you just explain what those are? Yeah, of course. So this was just a basically a framework for us to be able to take a look at understanding how how people might be thinking about fairness. And so distributive fairness looks at how are the outcomes or the rewards, monetary or otherwise, being distributed? And so people want to feel that the distribution of those rewards are fairly distributed, right? Mm -hmm. And so that means oftentimes that people feel that whatever they put in to the crowdsourcing operation should be proportionally rewarded to what they get out of it. That's really what the principle of distributive uh, justice talks about. Now, in terms of procedural justice, this is how people take a look at the rules and procedures. And here, typically what people are looking for is that all of these rules and procedures apply equally to participants. And finally, interactional justice. This is how people kind of judge how fair is the interpersonal treatment between the crowdsourcing initiative, the people who are running it. So the managers, the brand managers, and the people who are, who are participating. So I'm seeing a potential conflict between distributed and procedural because you can, especially if you're talking about a business and product, and some people may work really hard and, and not be very good at producing product. Their effort is high. Their outcome may not 
match what they want versus procedural where this is a great product and everybody upvoted it. So it gets made. Is there an inherent conflict there or is that because things are iterative that doesn't really happen so much? Yeah, I mean, there there can be definitely a conflict there. And I think, you know, this is what's really interesting about what we found in our study is that when it came to fairness, participants were sometimes willing to turn a blind eye to practices that may seem unfair to the outsider looking in, right? And so that's Mm -hmm. kind of really the interesting thing about our work is that fairness is really not cut and dry. And there are circumstances where participants are willing to say, hey, you know what? Yeah, I can see why that's fair. And there were other instances where they really drew the line and they said, no, this is not fair and we're not going to stand for it. So again, yeah, fairness is 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 messy. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and yeah. so you, you talk about all of the, these organizational justice, these three types of organizational justice that they're happening within something you call conflicting institutional logics. Can you translate that into something I understand? So I yeah, of course. What that means. Yeah, no, of course. Let's Let's think about those as goals. Yeah. And before we get into that, I just want to clarify, I want to make one point of distinction. And that is that the type of crowdsourcing that we focused on Mm -hmm. is a crowdsourcing contest. And this is just one type of crowdsourcing where a company collects ideas and after a limited time frame, they determine a winner, which often includes input from other members of the crowdsourcing community, typically in the form of votes or some other show of support. Right. Okay. Okay. And so the the focus of our study was a company called Threadless. They started out as a t-shirt company selling t-shirts online and they eventually expanded into some other products, but they're largely known as a t-shirt company. And their business model relied on this type of crowdsourcing contest where a community would create designs for them and then registered members would vote on those designs. And once a week, Threadless would pick a winner and that design would be printed on a t-shirt that the company would then sell on their website at a profit for the company. Mm -hmm. Right. So in this format, without the the community, the company couldn't exist. So they really had is really at the heart of them. Right. I mean, that's it's almost the totality of it. Right. It is the totality of their business model. Some companies may draw upon a crowdsourcing initiative in addition to creating a product offering. But in this case, they really couldn't exist without that crowdsourcing. Okay. Right now. Here's the thing, though, is that although there was a big emphasis on other members scoring the submitted designs and watching what the score was, the high score didn't necessarily translate to the winning design. Mm -hmm. So ultimately, choosing the winner was at the company's discretion. But this was never made entirely clear to community members. So community members still put a lot of stock into the number of votes on a submission. Right. So from the perspective of the participants, ambiguity around how the winner was chosen really raised a lot of questions about the fairness of the crowdsourcing initiative. Right. I mean, it's interesting because it's almost like figuring out Google's SEO algorithm. Right. How can you game that? How can you be discovered? But I also think about and you would know better than I, isn't there a theory that unpredictable rewards actually are most likely to generate ongoing participation? Yeah. In fact, that is one of the things that a lot of participants liked was that it was unpredictable and that was kind of fun and exciting for them. Right. But the fact that there was so much ambiguity around how a winner would be chosen 
it really meant that participants were in a constant discussion about what was fair and what was unfair. So they were constantly looking at the procedures and the rules and the distribution of rewards, and they were judging, is this fair or not? Right. So coming back to that question that you asked about uh, those institutional logics, and I said, let's let's think of them as goals. What we found is that those participants, their assessments of fairness were guided by one of two goals in any instance. So one goal is renewal. And this is thought of as, you know, a goal of the crowdsourcing community. So this goal of renewal is about keeping members and designs new and fresh. Right. After all, for participants, what's attractive about being in a crowdsourcing community is the ability to be part of a creative group of people and innovate together. So making sure people are bringing new ideas and bringing new ways of doing is really important. Right. And that's equally important for the long term viability of the crowdsourcing initiative. Right. So from this goal's perspective, right, what is fair are rules and outcomes that reward new members and new ideas. Okay, so that's one goal. Now. Another second goal is community. And so what that means is that means maintaining membership, recognizing longstanding um, members and their contributions, including their dedication and hard work and persistence, and respecting brand meanings that are developed by those dedicated members. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so what's fair from this perspective are rules and outcomes and distributions that reward dedicated members. And this also serves to maintain stability in the community. It's important to maintain a core group of, of community members who can be counted on for submissions, who will hold some institutional knowledge, and who will mentor incoming participants, right? So what we found is that these are the two goals that underlie the community and guide people's assessments of fairness. But the thing is, is that they offered conflicting ideas of what was fair. So on the one hand, it was about rewarding newbies and new ideas. But on the other hand, the other goal is about rewarding dedication and loyalty. And so this created some ambiguity for participants as they tried to figure out, hey, what's my path to success going to be in this community? Right. Well, did you, you were obviously looking at it just out of curiosity. Did you have contact with the management at Threadless? Could you ask any questions of them? Like, what were you thinking here? Or are you sort of, you're, this is all the assessment of the behavior from the outside? This is all the assessment from the from the participants perspective. perspective. So we really wanted to understand, hey, what do they experience as fair? Um, right. Right. Yeah. So and, was it so so it created ambiguity and it created a lot of conversation around ambiguity, which actually in a weird way creates community because they have something to talk about even beyond their idea. Right. I mean, this is a shared curiosity. Yeah. So, so, I mean, well, what we found is just that, right? So within the community, they did do a lot of talking about what was fair and, and in part because the company didn't have a clear formula, or at least from the participants perspective, it seemed very ambiguous. And so what we found is that they were constantly judging the fairness of the initiative and what they judged as fair was from the perspective of these goals, right? I and see. what was really surprising for us is that, and we were studying this community over several years, and what was really surprising is that we found repeated instances where practices that didn't completely follow expected procedures and rules, or that could have been thought of as unfair, well, we found instances where participants were repeatedly willing to turn a blind eye. Was that the procedural distributed differential? 
Or was that because it it looked like, no, it's not following the rule, but gee whiz, this person is really dedicated. Well, exactly. This is where it comes back to those goals, right? So typically what we found is that if you know, something seems to kind of be unfair, as long as it adheres to one of those two goals, then participants are willing to turn a blind eye and say, that's okay. And I'll give you some examples of that, right? So basically what we found is that sometimes participants would deem these, what I would call borderline practices and decisions as fair if they serve to recruit new participants, all right? right? So this meant giving a reward to someone who had not yet shown hard work and dedication to the community and hadn't even yet earned high scores from other community members. So once in a while, the community found it fair to reward those newbies. Mm-hmm. And their rationale was, hey, If Threadless only ever printed the highest scoring submissions, they'd print 10 artists over and over again, and that wouldn't offer any variety. Right. Right. So this was also true of the case where practices and decisions served to infuse the community with new creative ideas. It's that variety they were looking for. And they were especially on board when the community output had seemed to grow scale, a stale or repetitive. You know, Mm -hmm. sometimes what happens in a crowdsourcing community is that innovations, ideas, or designs can start to take on a repetitive pattern. And so as this increasingly happened, participants would be willing to, again, deem borderline practices as fair when the company rewarded new design ideas that infused the community with variety, even again, if these designs didn't have the winning score. And so this type of reaction established in the community that, hey, it's okay that we don't completely follow the rules that insinuate that the highest score should win. And you know what? Participants with low scores can win as well, as long as it brings either new ideas or new new people to the community. Was one more powerful than the other? Was one more valued than the other? Do oh, Gabriella, you know- you're... You're getting into the to the heart of the questions here and the heart of our findings, which is that what we found is that it kind of swung back and forth like a pendulum. Interesting. Over time. So, so this is your over time. over time. Okay. Over time, right? So the community was fine with rewarding newbies as long as that was balanced out with rewarding hard work, hard work, you know, long-term dedicated members. So, you know, if week after week a newbie was winning, all the time, well, the dedicated members would get antsy. And I have to mention, you know, in terms of crowdsourcing, one of the most important things is the community, like I mentioned earlier, that forms around the crowdsourcing uh, initiative. And what I want to mention here is that in many crowdsourcing communities, like any brand community, a community order tends to emerge. And as part of this order is a status hierarchy that rewards community knowledge and leadership, And so new members who join a community like this are often expected to learn from and respect more senior members. And quite frankly, they're expected to put in their time before rising the ranks. So these are the unwritten expectations uh, within this type of community. So with this eye to a commitment to the community, community members wanted to make sure that their dedication and hard work was also being rewarded. Hmm. So those newbie wins, they needed to be balanced out with wins for the dedicated members. I thought it was fascinating that Threadless began to experience submissions drop and social media following drop. And was that just life cycle that people get tired of it? Or was that poor management on their part? What do you think? 
Yeah, you know, our study really gives reason to believe that it was poor management. They just they stopped listening to their community and and this whole idea of the community losing their voice and losing control, it just became untenable. You know, they kept complaining and they kept asking management for different things and Threadless just kind of refused, you know? So they ended up losing a lot of their really core community members and those members had really kept the community together. And also attracted a lot of newbies. You know, you want to be part of a community that is innovating and that is doing cool new stuff. And right. if you don't have the people there to attract the newbies who are doing that, then the whole caliber kind of goes down quickly and it can all unravel. Yeah. It's really the the intersection of fairness and organization and business and how it all comes together is really interesting because you have ego. Where is this person in the organization? This person, this community manager is a very important person, but are they listened to internally? And do they stay in their job? You could have turnover there. And then what happens? Yeah. What's the continuity there? It's it's yeah. fascinating. I think you make a good point. And I, and I also wonder, like, to what extent is fairness top of mind to a manager, right? As a manager, you're managing all these things. You have, you know, sales goals to hit, all these other internal pressures. And, you know, you may be looking at the community thinking, yeah, okay, they're complaining and, you know, it's going to be fine. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I That's a fair argument, I think, when it's not your business model. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you know, like I, I think that 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 I could see that with Lego a lot mm-hmm. easier than I can see it with a company that's entire yeah. raison d'etre is this is how we do it. We're building market. Aren't we clever? But now we're going to ignore our market. Ah, I don't know. It just. Yeah. For this example, it was really sticky. Would you say that that kind of community order and expectation that that's a human thing, that that just happens because people being people? Or is that specific to um, this particular environment where people are doing this shared endeavor? Yeah, to your point, that's very much part of any type of community. Okay. You know, the longer you've been part of it, uh, the more senior you become. And, and, and there is sort of a status hierarchy. And we see that in brand communities as well. And so also then, because we talked about interactional fairness, there is an expectation if you have status in the hierarchy of the community that your interactions will be different, right? That your interactions with so who? so like the 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 management the interface with the the company with the brand, for instance. A- absolutely, yeah. So absolutely. So the expectation is that then you kind of become a leader, if you will, right? So this means that in terms of respecting senior members, this is where we saw instances where community participants or community members were willing to turn a blind eye and say, hey, you know what? This long-term member uh, may not be contributing the most innovative ideas, but they're a steady member who mentors other incoming participants and they're brand champions and they hold a lot of institutional knowledge. And so, yeah, maybe they don't have the newest, most innovative idea, but they should be rewarded, right? Mm. And so the expectation was that, yes, they would be rewarded. And so getting into that question you were asking me about, their interaction. This is where we also saw the community really draw their the line and say, you know what, some of these practices are unfair. And to your point about, you know, being expected to kind of have stronger interactions with management, what was interesting is that where participants drew the line was when they felt like they were losing control or they were losing their voice and input with brand managers and within the, the within the company who were controlling the 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 crowdsourcing community 
or the, the crowdsourcing initiative? That's an interesting thing. That's risky. You're you're the manager and it's your company <laughs> and you have other pressures. So what would you say big learnings that managers should take away if they're about to embark, they're about to start one of these things. What are some big considerations? I mean, it seems like a high touch, high human interaction project. It absolutely is. And this is kind of, you know, coming back to to when you asked me earlier, I just want to reiterate that a crowdsourcing community or a crowdsourcing initiative, like I mentioned, is not a one and done where you set up a crowdsourcing contest uh, with rules and then it runs itself, right? It's constantly evolving. So a manager really needs to have their finger on the pulse of the community. In our particular study, you know, we saw that the community was guided and therefore their understandings of fairness were guided by these two goals of of renewal and community. Now, in other communities, those prevailing goals might be a little bit different, right? So the first thing a manager needs to do is to understand what is driving the community. And then in an on an ongoing basis, managers really track what are those most prominent goals that underlie the crowdsourcing initiative and how often are participants drawing upon them in their fairness claims. And so this really means listening to the community and paying attention to their fairness claims, right? And then in our instance where we had two conflicting goals, the important thing is to try to maintain balance between those goals. And so this may mean offering very carefully weighed exceptions to rules, Mm. right? And being Mm. sure that uh, you are properly rewarding dedicated members. And so really the big takeaway here for managers is to act like a referee. You know, a manager needs to know when to let some practice the slide and when to step in and make a good judgment call. And, you know, this is the other thing perhaps about fairness to keep in mind as a manager is that people are okay with some transgressions to fairness, but they are only acceptable under certain circumstances, right? Well, and, and in the, almost like being polite goes a long way, uh, it sounds like. Um, well, I appreciate you saying that because really the the big third takeaway for managers is that in the long run, it's really imperative that managers focus on developing positive interactions with participants and proactively building initiatives that help to reward and maintain those long-term relationships. One of the things that we found was, as I started to mention, was that, you know, where the community really got upset was that when they felt that their influence or control over the crowdsourcing initiative was under threat. And so, you know, if they ever felt like they were losing voice in the community input and the overall workings of the of the crowdsourcing initiative, then they would really get upset, right? They An example of this is where threadless managers would promote select designs on social media. And that would result in an outstanding number of votes for those chosen designs. And managers didn't give any rhyme or reason as to which ones they chose. But from the community's perspective, this was seen as giving an unfair advantage to a select few, right? And giving greater voice then to voters who were simply drummed up on social media who had never participated. Another example of this is where newbies were recruiting their friends to vote on submissions without participating in the community. And that would create a big influx of votes. You're gaming it. Exactly. It it felt like it was being gamed. 
And but really why that bothered the community so much is that it felt like a transgression to their input into who the winner should be. Right. They felt like they were losing control over that voting process. And so really what we saw was that when they started to feel like they were losing control, that was really feeling like like a deep threat to them. And what really exacerbated this was that when the community felt that managers were no longer listening to them. So in both instances, community members let the company know that they felt it was unfair to allow so much voting from outside the community mm. to influence reward outcomes. And they let the company know it was an unfair advantage to promote only a few artists. And yet the company did very little to stop or change those practices. Coming back to this idea of participants having a really deep relationship with the brand, a lot of devoted members are really invested in the brand. And in some instances, it becomes a big part of their self-identity and almost an extension of themselves. So this experience, this kind of transgression by losing input into the decisions and then having your input ignored, it can really feel like a betrayal that cannot be overcome. And this is where we started to see a lot of participants leaving the community. How much of it is that communities get strange over time that you may even have within a community, you may have coups, new people come in and have different ideas about how things should be run. Those are natural progressions of communities, but there are some really longstanding brand communities. And as long as you continue to manage them, you will have renewal of new people that turn over. You can have people exit and feel good about that exit. Exactly. I think the biggest thing, if you're a marketer, is this is not a, a one and done. This is not low budget. This is high touch, high human interaction. And probably it's a joint venture with your product team. Frankly, would that all be fair? That would absolutely all be fair. Yeah. And I, I really can't underscore, like you mentioned, the importance of interactions between those participants and managers. Thank you so much for your time and taking us through the paper. I really appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Gabriella. It was really a pleasure to be here today. We've reached the end of another episode of Up Next. I'd like to close by thanking my production team at Up Next, my friend Rob Naughton, the voice artist who recorded our open. And of course, all of you, the members of our audience, thank you. I'll be talking to you again next time right here on Up Next.